Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We've got another podcast, a very special guest. He's very dear to my heart for a few reasons. We're going to cover that uh, as well. Jared, how are you doing? Hanging in. Doing as well as, uh, as can be expected, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. That's a fair response. Um, so lot, lot to talk about, lot to cover. want to go through your illustrious career. You're a World Series of Brace of Poker winner. You're a WPT winner. You've won high rollers. You've done a lot of things in poker, but I want to kick it off with a World Series story because this is one of the more entertaining things I've heard. Can you tell me about your World Series of Poker? I forget what year. Give us, you know, set the whole stage and what happened that you were blinding out of the most prestigious Biggest tournament, 10K buy-in, six, seven, eight million to first, and you had a lot of chips and you were blinding out of a tournament. Just could you walk me through how this is possible? Well, I mean, I didn't want to be blinding out, but I was I was locked up in a cage. I didn't have much of a choice. Um, so in between day one and day two of the main, there's always a day off. And uh, on that day off, I uh, it was probably like, you know, eight, nine o'clock. I went to go meet my roommates for for some dinner, get ready for day two. And, you know, as I'm as I'm as I'm driving, uh, I decided that, you know, I was actually going to a Brazilian steakhouse. I figured, you know, I got to increase my appetite a little bit. So I might want to just, you know, smoke a quick joint on the way. And, you know, five, six seconds after I lit it up, you know, I'm getting pulled over on, on the 15. And next thing you know, I'm getting arrested and uh, spending the next 18 hours in jail straight into day two of the main. And I think I blinded out for about three, three, four hours on day two. But by the time I got there, I still had like a decent amount of chips. And within an orbit, I had more chips than I started the day with. And I think I ended up making day five that year. So didn't, wasn't, wasn't too much of a detriment for me. I, I might've, uh, I might've done worse had I showed up on time. Weren't, were, were you sick in that tournament or you left early or was it the day two you left early or something? Or was I left early? early that same day also. Like, like I, I, I got there like three or four hours late. I ran up my stack like to like 500K or whatever. And I hadn't slept in like two days because I didn't sleep at all in jail. And uh, so I couldn't even see the cards. Like I literally was like hallucinating. So with like an hour left in the day, I just was like, I'm leaving. I left my card there and just went home and uh, let them bag my chips for me. Um, so that it's pretty amazing. I, I, the actual story that I remember more vivid details, could you explain what it was like in jail? Cause I, you've never been to jail before, if I remember, and you were in jail. Uh, my, first, my first experience with jail. Yeah. First hopefully my last. So okay, hopefully. So hopefully. Fingers Still, crossed. But can you tell me about how, like on a one to a thousand scale, how tilted are you? Cause like, get, this is a ridiculous situation, but on, on most other days, it's very rare to actually be, and you know, say it was like a win side event or an aria, you know, some like thing, a one K or 500, it's even like less crazy. This is the main event. I mean, on a scale of one to a million, how tilted were you and how crazy of a story was it? You must've been beside yourself. Like, I mean, I mean I, yeah, I mean, I, I want to say that like the first thing on my mind was the main event, but. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there because it was not a pleasant place to be. Uh, I was told originally when I got arrested that I would only be there for 18 hours, which would have let me out like before the main started, but then they weren't letting me out. So like for the first, like, you know, most of the time I was there, I wasn't too worried about getting there on time because I thought I'd be out by then. But next thing you know, they were like, they were fucking with me and they wouldn't let me out. And I had to have Massey, 
Aaron literally had to go find a lawyer who got a who got a order from a judge forcing them to release me. Um, so it got it got much crazier, like probably around like an hour before the main was about to start. Um, that's when I started really freaking out about missing. I was telling I was like in a cell with like 20 people and I was I, I didn't say anything to anyone probably for about 10 hours. And then I started to like, you know, make some friends inside and uh, I started telling them what was going on. And they were like, we got to get you out of here. And they started like banging on the doors and stuff, trying to get me out of jail. Uh, and uh, they were like, wait a second, you're playing, you're playing that thing we see on TV. You can win like 8 million. I was like, yeah, like, uh, yo, we got, we, we got to get you out of here. And I was just like, you know, I don't think that anyone's going to get me out of here any quicker from inside, but, you know, I appreciate the effort. Um, they were organizing but yeah. Right. Didn't, didn't, I, yeah, I didn't, you, didn't like you get one call or something? Like, wasn't it, didn't you fake sick or you were having a seizure? Was like, wasn't there some other stuff to it? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So basically once I realized that they were messing with me and weren't going to let me out, I, st- well, first I wanted to get the hell out of the cell. Cause I was still, I like, my anxiety is bad, bad to begin with. I, I don't like, so when I knew I was getting out in 18 hours, I just kind of had like a clock in my head being like, Oh, I'm going to get out of here. Blah, blah, blah. I just got to make it this long. And then once they told me that, like, I might be staying there for days, I started to freak out a little bit. And I also knew that like, I needed to kind of push the envelope. So I basically, with the help of some of the guys in the, in the cell, basically faked a heart attack. And, um, so they had to take me out of the cell and then, like, I made it so that, like, my blood pr- – like, I started, like, almost inducing a panic attack so that my blood pressure would get high enough that they couldn't put me back in there. And then since I knew they were really supposed to be letting me out, I knew at that point that, like, if I kept up the charade, they'd want to get me out of there because they wouldn't want to risk it. And I think they kind of knew I was faking it, but they couldn't prove it. So I think, uh, yeah, it worked. Yeah, It got me out of there. Com- the combination of that and, uh, and Massey's help – uh, definitely. I probably would have sat in there at least another five, 10 hours if it weren't for those, those two things. Yeah. Well, very, so sometimes very, you do what you do, man. very, very intense experience. I'm glad you got out and it looks like you, yeah, you, uh, well, you, have it. you had a fair shot, fair shot at it. You built some chips and, and went on a run, but all right. So cover that. Let's, uh, let's dive in a little bit to those that may not know you. A lot of people do. Uh, we'll look back at your hen and mob career and you could maybe, Tell me a little bit about how you got started. It looks like you were around the same time. Uh, I think you're, are you 39 right now or 40, almost 40? I'm 39, yeah. I'm 40 in February. Basically wow. dead. Yeah. <laughs> how old are you? 40, 40, uh, I'm 34. Fresh 34. 34. Yeah. You look at least 36, to be honest. That's all right. I, I'll take what I can get. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's not a big deal. 40. So 40 during COVID. How has COVID been for you? And let, let's just provide a little bit of context where you are because you are in a beautiful apartment thing is absolutely like stunning i see the the stuff the decorations and the stuff going on what tell me what what is that place where are you i mean the apartment's okay it's you know the the landlord kind of left it a little bit run down and dilapidated so um i had to make some i had to go with my own pocket and you know fix it up a little bit spruce it up a little bit but you know it's not a bad place to be um but yeah obviously for those of you who don't know i live in jeff's apartment uh over a panorama uh he's a pretty good landlord i mean you know he, you know he's a little eccentric sometimes he gets a little worried for no reason you know he's you know always asking me whether or not i'm keeping it clean or not which you know even if it's not clean you know we just we just get a, a broom and a vacuum and you know we'll clean it up 
Well, but, um, this was a double doubleheader podcast. Yeah, it was, it was more uh, somewhat to, to check on you in life and, and get your story, but also just, yeah, I want to get a visual. Yeah, look, on, it looks uh, good. Unit. We're good. We're good. It's nice and clean. There's no there's no holes in the walls or anything like that. You should have seen my old apartment in Brooklyn. There were a lot of holes in the wall. So, you know, I treat your place with a lot more respect. Um, what do you got going on over there? Big bug, big bug flying around. That's uh, that's, that's how it goes. It's, uh, it's a little crazy. All right, so department's good. You're good. How is COVID? What have you been doing in in with this this time? I mean, it's a wild time for you. You're you're a people person. You play live. Yeah. You bounce around. What's what what is going on in in Vegas and with you in COVID? Yeah, I mean, I haven't played any poker live since what like uh, right before COVID started, probably like early March. Um. I basically spent the first five months not leaving this apartment. I took it real seriously. I probably left Panorama like three or four times in five months. And it was basically uh, not to do much of anything, maybe to like run to the bank real quick or like take a walk or whatever. But I, I didn't leave. I stayed in here. In the last like month or so, I've gone out a little bit. I've gone out to dinner a few times, like uh, outdoors and hung out with a few people who I – thought the, the risks were a little low, but like not indoors, basically outside all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm still taking it pretty seriously. Uh, it's been rough. I haven't, I haven't enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of online poker, not as much recently, but at the beginning, um, a lot of TV, a lot of Netflix, a lot of, uh, a lot, not, a, not a lot of much else taking about three right. showers a day just to kill the time, you know, stay clean, you know, That's- do you have any reasons to significantly worry more so about COVID? Like, do you have any health, uh, like, things that would be good? I have mild asthma, which isn't great. I'm obviously not uh, not in peak physical fitness. Uh, so, I mean, we could argue that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite in your shape. I see you. It looks like you've been working out. The wife's got you on the treadmill lifting weights, I can tell. But, um, I mean, most likely I'd be okay, but I, I'm not really trying to chance it more than I, more than I need to. Um, especially at this point, like I've made it this far, you know, there'll probably be a vaccine, you know, not too long. I wouldn't want to get sick, you know, like a month or two before, you know, I could possibly avoid it. But I mean, I definitely loosened the reins a little bit recently. What, what is the actual uh, Vegas thing? Cause I see a little bit of stuff I hear. I see some people talking about vlogs or, you know, going to play a cash session. What is, are all the casinos open or some open? What is the actual? I mean, in terms of the poker rooms, like the wind just opened their poker room, I think maybe like a week or two ago, Ari and Bellagio have been open for a bit. Um, I think some of the smaller places have opened. The Venetian's open. Venetian's running tournaments. Um, you know, most of them have like the, gla- the plastic dividers and stuff up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't played any live. Uh, a bunch of my friends have. Uh, they've played some of the nation tournaments. People are playing cash. Um, I'm not really looking to risk it. At, I mean, I, you know, to me still, like, being indoors, sharing cards and sitting around for, like, 10 hours a day is more of a risk than I'm ready to take right now. Right. Okay. That could Fair change. Enough. You know, a really good 25K, you know, Aria shows up and I, you know, find my way into that. I might gamble a little bit, but like, I'm not rushing to go play, you know, any $300 Venetian tournaments. Uh, not yet, at least, you know. 
Right. For sure. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's take a little bit at a, a look at your career here. And then when you got started in live poker, can you tell me, I, I saw some notes. Um, you were a lawyer, you went to school, you, you were delivering pizzas for a bit. What, what was like the pre poker, uh, Jerry Jaffe life into, into poker? Give me a little background on, on how you got into poker and what you were doing before. I mean, I was playing some semblance of poker as long as I can remember. I mean, I was playing poker probably one way or another when I was in, junior high school even, maybe even before. I don't even, you know, long time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, after college, I got into online a decent amount. Uh, I took a year off in between college and law and law school and was just delivering pizzas in Staten Island because uh, I didn't really want to work or go to school. I just kind of wanted to mess around. And I was starting to get into poker, so I was trying to do that. Uh, but then I ended up getting convinced to, uh, to head to law school. I did that for three years, but I was playing tons of online poker at that point. Uh, I went to like PCA, like I think two or th- at least two of my three years of law school, I went there. Um, I was playing underground games in New York back in the day when those games were really flourishing. Uh, and then after law school, I got a job, which I didn't really want. And then that lasted my third day. And on my third day, I decided I don't want to do this anymore. And I quit. Basically, on the fourth day, they wanted me to actually go to court and do something. And I had no idea what I was even supposed to be doing. And at that point, I was like, this isn't for me. And been playing poker ever since full time, more or less. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, I, I do want to run through. Let's talk about some of the the, the rises and some of the, the the first. Like you, you get in, and it looks like your first ever cash was in in Europe. What brought you to to France, and why? Like, were you literally not playing live poker before that? You were just playing online. Well, how did you end up well, there and playing? That was when I was playing online during law school, and I I won a satellite to an EPT in uh, Deville, France. Uh, and I'm not even sure if I really knew what I was playing for. I, I think I just registered for a satellite. I didn't even realize I was playing uh, like a must-play EPT satellite. But once I won, I think I even asked if I could uh, like, you know, not go and get the cash equivalent. And they were like, nah, you have to go. Uh, so I actually brought my parents with me on the trip because they'd never been to France. And I took them and, you know, spent like a week or so in France uh, played these tournaments, didn't do so well in the main. I think I cashed one of the side events like you saw. So I was pretty much like my first uh, live cash, uh, at least like of any of any substance. But I mean, it's still not very big, but uh, that was really my one of my, one of my first live tournaments actually was was there. I think I think your podcast number 94 and of like let's say 80 poker players, I think like 75 out of the 80 maybe 76 have final tabled on their Hendon Mob as their first recorded cash. So you're one of the few that didn't, um, which is interesting because I, I, I was I always joke. I think that's like a reason people get hooked or they're like into it and they keep going. But Jaffe, you're one of the few who've had an illustrious career and you stuck with it even after not that, uh, that, that super taste of success. But I do see you won a 500 side event, right? Not long after, or I guess the following year, exactly a year later. And, you know, it's a 343 person. You took first place. You were in Biloxi. Do you remember what that was like? Was that a big uh, boot bankroll booster and situation for you or were you already doing yeah, actually, that was that was basically the start of everything i was um i had gone to the world series for the first time that summer which was 2009 and i lost everything i had i lost my whole bankroll and i left there with no idea what i was going to do and i became friends with uh 
Ben Zamani, who Zamani, yeah. the, so he backed me, right? X to Stein X on 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 uh, Poker Stars, and I became friends with him that summer. And he told me he he would start backing me after after the series. So I was playing online for the next few months, and we were both not doing well. And so I was really like grinding low stakes. And then Ben won a seat to the PCA in January, and he was not doing well either. He didn't really even have enough money to be staking me at that point. And he got fourth in the PCA for a million. And he basically just sent me a wire and was like, go to Biloxi. I'll meet you there in a couple of days, play some side events and, you know, try to run it up. So I get there. He's not there yet. I play the 500. I win it. And then I play like a 300, like two days later and get third. And then I, and he showed up and I played like the 1K on full tilt, like on a Tuesday, whenever that used to be. And I final tabled that. And then next thing you know, he's like, well, I guess we're playing the main. And the main was a 10K WPT at that point, the Southern Poker Championship. Uh, and I got fourth in that for probably 170000 or something like that. So that basically uh, had Stein not won a million of PCA, I don't know if I'm playing poker today. Because... Um, it's funny how that works, you know, the butterfly effect or one little thing. And then literally, I think in a lot of poker players' cases, too, that have success early or later or lucky or they have friends that do well. Cause it just kind of – it is it is a funny game. And, and would you say at this point – I mean, you weren't doing – not saying you do now, but like studying, work on your game. I've heard you reference that, you know, you were kind of – it's more like feeling. Like what do, looking at what you knew then and what you know now, like do you feel it's kind of amazing the results you had or did you just like – were you just – what were you doing – what was your game like here? Because I see you had a second in 2010, not right after as well, like March, your next tournament. Yeah, so where? 246. So, I mean, you're just like, you're rolling. Yeah. I mean, you're just absolutely crushing. Was a good year. Yeah, 2010 was a good year for me. Um, what was your yeah. style like? Were you saying, like, what were you a great poker player then or were you just kind of like figuring it out and versus the field just felt like you had an edge? What was your, what was sort of your bread and butter about your game? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever been a great poker player, to be honest with you. I think that back then, um, obviously the game wasn't nearly as tough as it is now. I think that I obviously got fortunate to like run good in certain, certain situations. Um, I think, you know, like I had like just my own non GTO kind of, I would, you know, I was a field player. I just kind of played on instinct and whatnot. And, um, and it worked out. Like, I think my instincts were decent at that point, but I, I, I definitely wasn't, uh, I definitely wasn't anywhere near the top of the game, but obviously, as you know, it doesn't really make a difference. You know, anybody can win a poker tournament. Um, I think I was better than the field, but not as good as the best players. And I think as the game has evolved, I've gotten better, but so has everybody else. Um, I'm certainly, I don't think at any point was I one of the best players, uh, but I think I do enough well that it puts me in a position where I have a chance. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared at the table. I, I put myself in, in situations where if things go right, I can win. And, uh, you know, that's more or less how I do it. You have a pretty blunt, uh, brash, like you're pretty, you're, you're on Twitter. I see you get, you know, you, you fire off, you say what's on your mind. You don't mind going hard at people and poker. Like, tell me what you believe to be true about the poker kind of world as a whole. Cause it's a great, it's a great game. There's a lot of, I mean, I think it's fair to say you've met a lot of your best friends or people in poker. You, the people you like to be around, you're around, or you know, that are in poker, but you know, poker's got kind of a funny world and you're, you're kind of outlook the way you just like, 
you just smash on, uh, you know, people like you just call it how you see it. So what do you believe in poker is true at the moment? Like, uh, just give me like your kind of outlook on the, on the, the game and the, the whole, the whole situation about poker. Um, I mean, in general. I think like, I think like with most things there's, there's good and there's bad. Um, kind of my general rule when it came to like my social life in poker was I only wanted to really develop close relationships with people who, who I would want to have close relationships with outside of poker. So I wasn't trying to just, you know, become friends with people because they were good at poker. Like I have no interest in that people who I'm friends with and I'm closest with are people who, if I stopped playing poker today, I would still want to be close with. Um, so that was kind of my, my strategy in terms of building relationships. With that being said, like, I think it's good to, to get to know as many people as you can and, you know, develop maybe not super close friendships, but, you know, good relationships with as many people as you, as, as possible. But let's be honest. Um, there's a lot of different types of people in the poker world and I don't love all of them. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I, I could care less if you're a good poker player that doesn't impress me. Uh, I want to be friends with people just because they win or because they have a lot of money or because people perceive them to be famous. Personally, I don't think anybody who plays poker really, other than maybe like three or four people who are exceptions to the rule, I don't think any of them are, you know, famous people. Like, this is poker. It's not, you know, you're not an A-list actor. You're not a, you're not, you're not a superstar in sports or anything like that. It's... The cool thing about poker is it's a game that anyone can sit down and play with you. And I think it's important that, you know, uh, somebody who's one of the best players in the world can be sitting at a table with some random guy. And I don't think that you should be looking down on somebody because they might not, you know, they might not study, uh, study poker the way you do. Like uh, people who look down on others for that reason, they, they, they bother me. Um, and obviously, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fake people in, in poker. I try to be as as real as possible, um, which I'm sure rubs some people the wrong way. But the people who I'm rubbing the wrong way, honestly, I don't really care because I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to socialize with them or I don't really genuinely care what they think anyway. Um, you know, I wish I wish that this game was a little bit more transparent and a little bit less clicky because I think that's what it's kind of become. Uh, you know, you can't really take as many, as many people at face value these days. I feel like as you did back in the day, um, a lot of people have agendas and angles and whatever. And, you know, I think that even though there's a lot of money to be won and there's a lot of people showing up to tournaments, I think that we'd be in a lot better shape in general as a community if people's attitudes towards the game and why they were playing and how they were playing and people who played before were a little bit better than they are right now. I think, uh, I think, I think there's, you know, it's almost become like a secret society in terms of like, you know, uh, you know, almost like, a, almost like a high school club, you know what I mean? Or, you know, which I don't like, I think it's, I think it's childish and, you know, we're all adults, in this game now. And I don't think it should be that way. I think we should be yeah. more, more welcoming of other people than we are. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I think, I think that's for sure been a tough topic of discussion. And, and there is uh, 
you know, there's, there's a, it's a, it's a kind of layered complex situation and some of that, but I agree with you and it's uh you, you do kind of notice it and, and it does become more prevalent now, especially I think as we've been, I mean, you've been in the game for, for what, technically what 16, since you're 21. I mean, have you been playing pretty much 23, 25, like seriously? Is I mean, I'd say yeah. I've been playing like super seriously, like traveling and stuff for about 10, 11 years, probably 11 years, but I was playing online probably pretty seriously for like four or five years before that. So yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, I think that the way I perceived poker and like the upper echelon of the poker community when I was first starting out, like just before I played live and before I kind of like made a name for myself isn't what it is today i don't know i mean i think it was i think i had a pretty good perception of what it was back then and i think it's changed a lot and i think that we would be better off maybe taking a step back towards where it was than continuing to go in the direction that it's been trending now honestly right uh what would be what would be let's talk about online poker because I, I i picture you more as a live guy you have won a world poker tour uh main event you've won a wsop um main of uh, championship uh, tournament so you have a bracelet uh wh- what do you believe measures a, a poker player though like wh- how, when you look at someone you see this that's sort of how we we you see phil how many the most bracelets and this is what we sort of talk about but like to you when you when you size up someone's game or their their resume wh- what what to you makes uh is important or is that stuff just completely overrated I mean, I think, like I said, anybody can win a poker tournament, uh, you know, one or two of them. I don't think winning any specific tournament, you know, unless you're talking about like winning, you know, one of these 100Ks or 500Ks where basically everybody in it is a known elite of the game. I don't think winning any real tournament necessarily defines you as a good player or a great player. I think the best way is is consistency winning over a long period of time uh like i said you can anybody can win a tournament but if you see somebody consistently you know making the final couple tables of a of tournaments you know final 30 players 25 players whatever over and over again i think that's more of an indication than somebody just happening to win a bracelet or happening to win a wpt um i think when it comes to cash games you know it's 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 the same like anybody can you know scrounge up a bunch of money from investors and go play in a big game and have some success and make a good call or a good fold or whatever. But it's the people who are like out there grinding anything from two, five to 10, 20 or higher or whatever. The people are doing that consistently for a long period of time and they're always winning and they're supporting their family or whatever. Like those are the people who are the, who, who I think are, are the best players and the ones who, that's the way to measure success. It's, it's basically just, uh, you know, over a long period of time being successful, winning, going deep, uh, you know, yeah. which is what I like when you see somebody on a heater short term, you know, like we, we've seen plenty of people win over a short period of time and then disappear a year or two later. So I think obviously everybody knows what variance is and sample size. And I think that you need a long a pretty long period of, of success to really be considered, uh, you know, the upper level of poker personally. Yes, I agree. You mentioned family. Uh, what about for the ladies out there that will view this? Are you on the market? Are you, would you like to have kids one day? Give us a little bit of a personal look into Jared's life. Are you, are you single engaged? Married? Yeah, yeah I, I'm on the market. I think I'm on sale. I'm, I'm, you can find me at the 99 cent store, uh, discounted rack. 
Um, yeah, COVID, yeah, COVID I mean, festivals are tough out there right now, I bet. Single. Yeah, right seriously. I mean, yeah, single, hanging out. Sure, if the situation was right, I wouldn't mind, you know, settling down and having a family. But also at this point, you know, I got to learn how to take care of myself still, too. So, but yeah, I mean, I'd like to be like you one day, settle down with a beautiful woman and make a nice, a beautiful child. Like everybody aspires to the Jeff Gross life. Everybody knows that, you know, you're the pinnacle. I'm not taking that for rent. The rent's at the bottom. I'm not. I'm not going to take these compliments, and and uh, we're not going that we we hit I mean, the floor. Maybe we can talk about a little discount, you know. I mean, and it's the right thing to do when somebody's as rich as you and somebody's as bad off as me. I think it's the it's it's the right thing to do. All right. Well, you can sorry, you ask your viewers. No, talk no, to your viewers. See what they say. Maybe pull. Take a do a straw poll on on rent. We got to do a full tour of the apartment. We'll we'll save that for later if we have time. All right, let's go back to your success. I don't want to get onto this. I just want to check in, make sure the ladies know you're available. So we covered that. Uh, we kind of scrolled through. So a couple years yeah. go down. You hit some six figure scores. You're in the mix, pretty consistent, and uh, then you win in 2013 November a WPT. I've played it one time, Jacksonville. Uh, so you get the best bet trophy you take it down for 252 358 entrance a reasonable size field i mean it's still big but not as big as some of the other wpts what was that like did you was there anything special about that tournament did you know you were going to win were you was your back up against the wall did you did you what was different or did you run hot talk me through this win in this world poker tour event yeah i mean that was my first big win like that was my my first legitimate big time win and um yeah i that was like my third or fourth WPT final table and I hadn't I think it was my th- I think it was my third and I had gotten like a fourth and a fifth and I kind of was like I was the chip leader coming into the final six and I thought that I was probably the you know I thought I, I thought I was probably the best player still at the table at that point honestly and um, I had the chip lead and I'd had some close calls before so I was like I felt good, but I was. All, I also felt a, a pretty good amount of pressure because, like, you know, I'd been in that. I'd been in good spots before and hadn't closed it, and I felt like this was a really good situation for me. Uh, I, I'll say, I didn't. I don't notice almost nobody. I mean, I see uh, David Diaz. Is that lefty, right? They call him like yeah. lefty was in there. Um, you know, I, I know. I see Mac Lance, but like Madsen, a few guys. But like down the stretch here, like I don't recognize many of these guys' names. So maybe is that sort of to the point too, where you're like, all right, there's no Darren Elias or Anthony Zeno yeah. here. Like, you know, I might be able to just sort of uh, outmaneuver these guys legitimately, like straight up. Yeah. Like I just should be a favorite. Yeah, like I said, I had the chip lead, and like I, I probably had the most experience and, and the most results even still at that point at the table. So it was like a double-edged sword where I was in a really good situation, but I also was feeling a little pressure because of that because I felt like I needed to win. Uh, anything less than first was going to be super disappointing in that spot. And I, like I said, I hadn't had a big win before that. So... Yeah, I mean, the final table actually went pretty smoothly up until it got heads up, and then uh, I got heads up, and I lost a few pots, and it was uh, it was a little swingy, and then basically I got it in in a big one where, like, I flopped a flush draw with, like, two four hearts, and the guy, uh, Blake, had aces on, uh, you know, on the flop, and uh, if I would have lost – he would have gone ahead of me. He probably it would have probably he probably would have had about a 60, 40 lead on me if, if I had lost that one. But I, I spiked the flush on the river. And honestly, I would say 
that was probably the best feeling I've had in poker. I would say um, the most. That was the most joy I experienced uh, in a po- in in poker. That that moment uh, of all the times of all the things that I've accomplished. Uh, that was that was probably number one in terms of pure excitement. And was there any big purchases, anything partying going on? Did the tournament end early, late? Was it like anything unique there? I mean, Jacksonville's, um, you know, it's uh, in that area. I don't think there's like a ton to do right there. No, I just actually, at a hotel, but I can't really. Yeah, no, actually, we. I went the next day to to the WPT in St. Martin. I missed my flight there because my flight was on the final table. I, I went with um, with Bobby Abudi, who I used to travel with all the time. And um, so basically we switched, I paid for us to switch our flights to the next day and we drove, we rented a car and drove, I think to, I want to say Orlando. Yeah. And then flew from there to St. Martin, like the next morning for the first WP, uh, WPT that they ever had in St. Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I partied a little bit my first night in St. Martin with, with a couple guys when, you know, it was a small field, but a couple of us went out and we had a good time. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really make any big purchases or whatever, you know, like I, I'm trying to think, I mean, I definitely didn't have a hundred percent of myself. I had a decent piece, but like, I basically was just using that money to, to live and to, uh, reinvest in poker. You getting attacked over there by, by some type of inside? It looks like, it looks like you're scared. Can you, hear that? Can you hear that thing? There's literally like a big, a big, big, big I just, I just see you reacting to it. And it looks like, it looks like. I just, I, I'm big. nervous now. The Mike Pence thing. I saw these memes in the fly. I just don't want this like huge fly to take a dump on my head. But uh, it's like. A, yeah, it's a, you're a lot more liked than Mike Pence though. So even if that happened, I think that, you know, get through people it. are reacting right. in a different way. I think we'll be okay. Um, all right. Well, so very cool. So you win the tournament. You kind of, that take a little pressure off your back like what are your family what's their background with poker and you playing and traveling the world and not being a lawyer you were a lawyer you do the thing like do your parents they're supportive of it do they not like it where how does that fall in and how big was it to win like a tournament like that yeah i mean my 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 mom hated that i was playing poker uh she did not want me to do that my dad was always playing poker that's probably where i picked it up from he was was more than happy with me doing it if i was successful but if i wasn't he would tell me that i had to you know get a real job. Um, yeah, that definitely helped because that showed that, you know, I could, I had, I was able to, I was able to play well enough to, to win money in the game. You know, I'd been winning a little bit before that. That was like, obviously enough money to support myself for a while. Um, and it definitely gave me some breathing room and made it so that I wasn't really worrying about money for a little bit. Um, but anybody who knows me knows that I like to put money into play. So, you know, even, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars that could, that could potentially, you know, disappear pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with, as with pretty much anybody, when, when you win that first big thing, it takes a lot of pressure off and both psychologically and financially and, and it did for me. And uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, to kind of run pretty well, you know, after that to the point where I was uh, in, a, in a decent spot, you know, for the next, you know, a few years before I ever had to worry about any real cold streaks. So it was, yeah. uh, it was a big help. I'm looking at it too. It looks like you just binked another one right after. If you look at your career, that was a good stretch for you. Cause then, you know, kind of holiday season, maybe you didn't play so much. What either way, it doesn't matter. It's like November, uh, here and now you just come in January, kick off the year. 
with the WPT final table. You know, I guess you played St. Martin, maybe not much else, but then you just you bank another pretty massive score, um, about for the, even actually a little more in the same buy-in. Um, you get fourth, but not a win, but still a two fifty-two there. Uh, so I mean, you were you. Were, I mean, that's got a that was a nice to feel. You must have been top of the world. That's sort of your area, right? You probably had family, friends there at that. Yeah, more got a, a bunch of people. Uh, you know, came down for the final table. Wasn't exactly uh, the result I was looking for. Obviously, you know, I've had a lot of fourths, fifths, and sixths, but uh, and that was obviously a big one. I think it was at least seven hundred fifty thousand, maybe more for first. Uh, and uh, yeah had a pretty memorable hand that I lost, uh, you know, a lot of chips on. Maybe I would have played a little differently. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I went on a nice little run after that and it kind of, kind of snowballed in a good way. And, uh, yeah, those, there were, there was a nice, nice stretch there for a couple of years where I was, uh, I was deep in a lot of WPTs and some WSOPs and I was, I, I was pretty fortunate for sure. Well, before we, I don't want to spend the, the whole podcast on your results and runs, but just to, to kind of hit the other major category you did not long after as well. So June, we're talking, this is all in a pretty quick stretch, but then you do knock off a uh, first place in a world series, a poker event, which is, you know, one of the, there's basically two main tour, two majors. And then you can argue EPT party poker now, but there's a, you know, the, the other, the other side, but these are like the two people talk about, they measure, uh, tournament player success, WSOP, WPT. And, and what was that like to actually win a World Series event? Because now you've been going to Vegas for numerous years. And, and how did that one feel? How did that rank with the WPT? Yeah, see, the, the main difference between those two uh, was, so like I said, like when I won the WPT, that was probably the most the most joy I felt and the most excited I felt. When I won the bracelet, it was, uh, it was more like relief. I had wanted to win a bracelet for so long. And back then, at least, much more so than now, I think uh, the value of the bracelet was a little bit a little bit higher in terms of uh, stature and you know people wanting to win a bracelet more than the money, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, I wanted to win the money, um, but once I got down to the final, you know, four, five, six, seven people, which we can remind your audience, I believe you got seventh in that tournament, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there he is, seventh place. Um, I appreciate you bowing out and let me let me take it down. Um, I was just, I was feeling so, so much pressure on myself to uh, to not blow the opportunity because I had gotten like a third place a couple of years before that. And I think I had like a sixth place or seventh place. And like, you know, it's real hard to get through those fields. Every summer they get bigger. And, uh, you know, I genuinely didn't know if I was ever going to be in that situation again. Like, you know, I haven't since really. Um, and I just really, really wanted to win. And when I, when I did, it was just kind of like – a load off my back and uh you know i was real happy but like i said with the wpt i kind of felt joy and with that i just kind of felt relief tough tough opponent there heads up actually sir watts mike watson uh he was our my latest guest on the podcast or in the last two at least tough players what's that i said that must have been a real exciting podcast uh, to be fair, Mike Watson is, uh, he's, he's got a very interesting story and he's one of the more successful players. I think he's more quiet, you know, cause people don't know yeah. him as well, but I actually, his, uh, so his, his fiance and, and my, and Amelia are very close and, and I've known him. I, he's not one of my, that's the one I spent a lot of time with, but I do know him. He's very interesting guy, brilliant and a great player. Were you intimidated? Did you feel like you, had, what was your strategy in that? And like, was it close heads up or, or how did that go down? Uh, I had a pretty good advantage when we started, um, 
and it was like a huge grind. Like obviously he's really good poker player and he's not giving any chips away at any point. Uh, he's a lot better than I was then. He's a lot better than I am now. Um, but it was actually brutal. Like I hated it. Um, he wouldn't say a word. Yeah, he's one of those guys that like when you when you when you probably were like when you got to heads up, no matter if it's like 60, 40 blinds to 14, like, you know, like it's going to you're going to really have to earn it. Like he's never he's not going to make one mistake. He's going to limp buttons. He's going to he's going to make it. it he wouldn't talk. He wouldn't smile. He wouldn't interact. Uh, yeah. He wouldn't gamble. Uh, he was just. Not to, like not in an insulting way, but like if you're ever gonna pick the type of player you don't want to play heads up with, it's that guy because it's a grind and you're gonna have to do everything right to beat him, and on top yeah. of it, you're gonna have no fun doing it. Like I tried to talk to him, I tried to loosen up the vibe, it didn't work. He wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't smile, he wouldn't interact. You know, it's super yeah, serious. I mean, it was like. Hey, well, he, he's, a, he's a consummate professional. I think that's a fair way to put it. Like, he's like a guy, like, he's just a guy that's going to, he's there on a mission and he's, yeah. yeah he's, he's like, Mark, Mark Herm got third. You know, Herm, like, you guys right. probably would have had. Yeah, if I would have played Mark heads up, we would have had a party. Like, it would have been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And Mark's, Mark's a great player also. Just a little different type of personality, obviously. And, uh, you know, also a different brand of poker. Mark's going to, Mark's going to mix it up a lot more. Uh, and maybe, you know, plays, play a lot more aggressive and, you know, you know, pedal to the metal. Whereas at least my experience playing against Mike, you know, he, he values every chip as much as anyone does. And, uh, he, you know, he, you got to fight him for every chip and, uh, a little like more, I said, a little, more my, a little more of my style, but I, I would be definitely chirping a bit more, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, you would have at least smiled at least once. Like if you doubled up, you might've cracked a smile. If I made not a joke, I wanted to, I just can't help it. That's the problem. Yeah, you're I'm just saying. a happy guy. I, I, I want to be serious, but I, I've been, I just, yeah, I want, yeah. I just, exactly. I get it. Anyway, compliments to Mike. He has a tough cookie. Spend the podcast. Yeah, and great. Congrats. I mean, how did you end up getting him? What was, what was the chip? disparity when you started heads up do you remember like is i it think like, i almost uh, had like close to a two to one lead on him it was something like so that still wide like, open. Still wide yeah open. I mean, it was pretty good but then he actually uh he actually like i kept getting him down to like 10 blinds and he just kept doubling up and then right before we went on a break i i bluffed off a ton of chips and he actually took the lead on me and i was just so demoralized because literally he had like 20 between 10 and 25 lines for so long and i just couldn't i couldn't get those chips and then all of a sudden now he's beating me and i'm like how the hell am i going to get all these chips now i i couldn't get him for his last 10 blinds like i just i was just so demoralized and uh, i had a huge uh, rail there like very supportive friends and uh you know on break i got a couple pep talks and i just kind of I kind of did what I was doing and, and I, I, you know, I saw that he was, like I said, like not really, you know, he was playing a little tighter and I just tried to turn on the, turn on the pressure a little bit. And I, I built back the lead and then I think I had him down to maybe 10, 10, 10 or 12 bigs again. And I actually got lucky. I think he had something like Jack's and I had maybe a six suited or something like that. And I, I think I rivered a straight maybe. Um, and that's how I won, but uh, he was short again when that happened but it was yeah of, of all the heads up matches i played that was 100 percent the most grueling and toughest and uh the least the least fun one for me to play which is a compliment to him you know he right. uh, he made it yeah. uncomfortable for sure i would i'd have to greet that so all right so again don't want to spend 
too much time. We hit some of the big wins. You play after that. You, you know, you go on a really big stretch. And then I saw you won a 25K RE. I remember that. Actually, I think I was around there, around that time for a nice, maybe your biggest score. You had a couple other uh, here at Poker Masters, a score. Uh, you had a uh, 400K. What's it like playing in a 20? Because we, we, I think we might either play in the same field or oh, here's the one you won for 300. You know, when you're playing against these 5K, 3Ks, big size fields, when you're playing a 25K with arguably a lot of the best players in the world, um, how does that kind of, uh, how does that go for you? Like, what, what's your, what's your mindset when you go dabble in one of these with the small, big buy-in, small field, tougher pound for pound? How do you, how do you sort of adjust? Yeah. I mean, when I first played it, uh, played my first Aria 25K, it was kind of completely out of nowhere. Somebody just, uh, offered me a good opportunity and I went in there and, you know, I got to be honest, like, it was awesome being there, but I also didn't feel very comfortable. Like, everybody there knew each other. Uh, everybody there was, you know, there were there were no soft spots. Maybe one, maybe two. I mean, I was the soft spot, let's be honest, in, in that field. Uh, it was clear. I know, I know how I'm getting looked at. But honestly, I, I feel super – like, after, like, playing, like, one of them, I've just, I've just felt super comfortable in them. Like, I don't mind that – I don't mind that I'm looked at as, you know, one of the spots in the field. I because I'm I'm very cognizant of, of that I am. Um, but with that being said, I think when you look at, you know, me as a, me as one of the weaker players in a field like that, versus like when you look at like a weak player in like, you know, a regular WPT, there's a, there's a real difference. Like a, you know, a weak player in a 1500 or a 2K, you know, something like that, literally may have no idea what they're doing. You know, they could just be having a good time, whatever. I obviously have a clue what I'm doing. I can figure things out. I can make adjustments. And I think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm able to recognize how I'm perceived and I can adjust to that and turn some of my weaknesses into strengths against fields like that. Um, with that being said, I'm not lying to myself I know that in order to win, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to run above above expectation against these guys. Um, but also knowing that they know that they should be outplaying me and should be beating me, I think you know, in certain situations may put pressure on them that I don't have to experience. And I think that runs to my benefit also. Uh, yeah. I think I'm self aware at the table, and for that reason, I'm able to do certain things that. I may not get away with in a 3,500 or a 1K, but I can get away with them in a 25K because I'm looked upon differently by the players there. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the best thing in terms of my game in those spots is just that I, I, I think I do a pretty good job of turning my weaknesses into strengths. Uh, and I think that I just love playing them. It's fun to play in really nice studios with small fields, four, five, six-handed for a lot of money when you only have to maybe beat 30 or 40 players. It's you know, yeah. it's, it's, I don't enjoy anything in poker more than playing those. I hope I get to play more. Um, you never know. Those aren't, you know, those aren't, I don't belong there, but I try to, I try to get in when I can. Those, the hard rock 25 Ks uh, before COVID, at least like for the last three, four years, they get, you know, a hundred, 115, 16, 17 entrance spot on like every time total entrance, which is pretty crazy. Like a lot of those. Yeah. Right have, before COVID I actually got third in that one. It was smaller though. It maybe only had, I think maybe like, maybe like 50 or 60 players. Um, I think it was in like November or whatever. Yeah, that was the first 25k that I had final table that wasn't one of the Aria ones. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I actually got I entered it pretty late, and uh, 
I just kind of like hung around and then I was the shortest stack on the bubble and I was, uh, it was like a two hour bubble and I was really breathless about potentially bubbling that one. Cause it's no fun bubbling at 25 K, but I actually ran it up and I actually got to the final table with the chip lead and, uh, things didn't go great for me on the, on the last day. I, you know, I got third, can't complain. Uh, the other Jaffe, John Jaffe, Iftari, uh, he ended up winning. He is just tough a player to play against. Uh, he was on my direct left and he had chips and he didn't let me breathe basically the whole day. So without some good hands with him on your left, uh, you're going to, you're going to have a tough day. And I did. And, you know, but third place is, uh, you know, you sign for that before the tournament starts every time. So can't complain. Um, yeah, that's a good, good, good choice for the Jaffies over there. Good for sure. That's a, that's yeah. a it's tough one. It's a pretty unique name. It's tough when you're the second best Jaffy in your your industry, but he's. Uh, I might be the third best. There's three of us for him. I was saying for him. Oh, who's who else is Jaffy? What other Jaffy are we throwing I mean, in the conversation? Uh, you got John and you got uh, Will. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, Dangness. Yeah, he's. I don't consider him yeah. much as a tournament player. Though. I think he's more cash. Yeah, he's a cash guy. Yeah, but guy. yeah, you're talking pound for pound skill. You're right. Well, at least you're on the podium, no matter what. I don't think there's anyone yeah, else. Yeah, listen, I'll take it's the not, bronze medal against two gentlemen. Not, you know, it's not bad. It's hard. It's hard to be the best. Um, okay. Well, so anything else you want to say, poker related, in terms of tournaments? Because where do you feel we are in terms of the state of poker? Because we've been around for the ride. You're, you're coming up to forty. Um, you know, are you, are you enthusiastic about the future of poker? Do you think it's dead? Do you think it's live poker is going to be great and online's dead? Like where, what, what are your takes on live and online for the upcoming future? And like, say post COVID, let's just say 2021, you know, on, yeah, uh, I mean, if you take COVID out of the equation and we get back to a time when things are normal again, whenever that may be, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big online guy. I mean, I've played it plenty over the years, but I think that online poker is, definitely on the downward trajectory uh i don't think that it's uh i think for many reasons it's just not it's not gonna i i I wouldn't recommend anyone just trying to just start becoming an online pro that's for sure um i'm not a big fan of a lot that goes on in uh in online poker these days as far as live poker is concerned i think that there's uh i think there's a lot to be excited about and i think there's a lot to be worried about i think that um, even with all the things that have gone on negatively in poker over the last few years, whatever they may be, the numbers are still there. There's still a lot of people who come to all these tournaments and, you know, the world series puts on these Colossus events, which I don't like. I'm not going to lie. I don't like all these gimmicky tournaments, you know, for $500 at the world series. Uh, I don't like them at all, but they bring in thousands and thousands of players. So it's good for the poker economy. Um, so the game is thriving, I think, from a numbers perspective, but I do think that there are a lot of things that need to be done in terms of how to sustain the game. I think that, uh, you know, first of all, the, I think that reentries, although necessary, uh, I think that they've gotten out of hand. Um, personally, I don't think, I don't think it's good for poker allowing people to, you know, buying five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a tournament, or at least not basically every tournament. Uh, there can be some tournaments like that. I think it's bad for the, I, bet, I think it's bad for the ecosystem in terms of, I think people are, I think that, you know, middling poker pros uh, are going to go broke a lot faster. Uh, 
backers will go broke a lot faster. Um, it's much harder to turn a profit that way. And it also is a, you know, a negative for recreational players who only fire the one bullet. I think that it's important that if people travel across the country and they bust a tournament in the first level, they should be able to re-enter. I just think there should be a limit uh, or other things that we should implement to maybe uh, even out the field. I always thought that a fair thing to do would be to maybe uh, charge more for second and third bullets. You know, if you've got a $3,500 tournament and you buy in a second time, maybe it's still $3,500. If you want to buy in a third time, maybe it costs you four k. If you want to be in there five times, maybe it's a 5K. At least then that kind of uh, puts a tax on the people who are just firing in infinite money and it, and it brings up the EV for the people who are just going to be there on a satellite or whatever. That was an idea that I had had. Um, I used to be a huge fan of the World Series. Um, I still play all the tournaments and whatnot, but I am disappointed in the direction that it's gone. I think it's become a money grab. Um, I think that we, by having so many gimmicky tournaments for low buy-ins and all these enormous fields, it's kind of watered down the product, uh, which I don't like because in, in a broad sense, I love the world series, I love playing it, but I just think that the prestige of winning it has gone down. I think that, you know, I don't think that you should be able to win a $300 online tournament and get a World Series of Poker bracelet personally. Like, I just – I think that they are preying on people who just kind of want to be there. I think, listen, like, if you want to have one low buy-in tournament just so everybody can get a shot to play, fine. But it shouldn't be uh, what the what the brand is built on. And same thing with the, the payout structures and whatnot. Like, you shouldn't be – you know, it isn't just the World Series. There's a lot of different poker tours. Like if you play, uh, you know, a 5K, you shouldn't have a min cash for, you know, 7,000 or 6,500. Like I think obviously what's being done there is the a lot of these poker tours are trying to just put some money back in the player's pocket so that that way they'll play another tournament and that'll be more rake for them, uh, which is not a good thing, obviously. Um so I think a lot of things need to be done. I think it's difficult because as poker players, we don't really have, we, we have no union. We have no nothing to fight against these, these other poker tours and whatnot to, you know, make things better. And we've seen that people are going to show up and play no matter what, basically. So uh, it's tough. I think that of all the poker tours, I think the WPT does the best job. I think that they're, structures and their tournaments and everything are the fairest for the players and have the players uh well-being for the most part you know uh at the forefront but there's there's nothing's perfect and i think that if we want to sustain and keep the game growing we're gonna have to make some changes going forward otherwise you know there could be hard times ahead would you be interested in something, uh, you know, like playing, you played for so long, would you like, what's, let's say uh, these tournament directors, uh, Matt Savage and Jack Effel and, you know, Tony Burns, the other kind of, do you have any interest? Would you, if, was there a role or a situation where you could see getting more involved or if somehow there was a panel or some sort of thing, would you want to try to help or, or be involved in a, in a process to, to make these things you're mentioning? Is that something that you're. Yeah, I'd be glad to. I think like there's a lot of, that's the thing about poker, which is really crazy. Because poker is probably the only business that you can run where your customers will do will happily pay you and do the work for you. 
Like, think about it. Think about how many poker players will sit there and go over a structure sheet and tell the poker tournament directors, listen, this is a better structure. They'll take hours to go through things and correct the problems for the people running these tournaments to make the tournaments better for themselves. And in what other business are the consumer really taking time out of their day voluntarily for nothing in return to try to help the person who's, who's, who's basically putting the product in front of them. It, it's, it's a real interesting dynamic. And I think that if the, the higher ups, the tournament directors, the, 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 the poker tours, I think and some do a better job than others. Some do a good job. Some don't. I think if they were willing to sit down with the players and, and, and just listen a little bit more often, I, I mean, if I was running a business and someone wanted to do my job for me and I still got paid for it, I'd be thrilled. Whereas in poker, I feel like they get insulted and they don't want to listen to people a lot of the time. But like I said, if anybody wants to hire me, somebody wants to hire me and do all the work for me, God bless them. I'd be happy to do it. So I think, I think in poker, you have the opportunity for, for your customers to really make your job a lot easier. And I think that people should, the people in positions of power should take advantage of that. Got to show party poker in the background here. Uh, yeah, I think party does it. I mean, so party's done the online with the re-entry. They've limited to one re-entry. They got rid of HUDs, real names. What What are those issues? Does I mean, you don't strike me as a HUD guy online, especially because yeah. you're not playing, you're playing W. I don't even think WSOP has it, right? And I mean, yeah, that no, in a more respectful way. I mean, you're more, like you said, you're more of a field, field player. You don't, you know, you haven't, you're not, you're not doing that or running that kind of stuff. What does that make you more comfortable if you hear a site, no HUD, real name, um, one reentry? Is that like, does that, does that help you? Do you think that's good? Or yeah. like, does it I, think all those things, I think all those things are a benefit. I think they're all, they're, they're all better for poker to do all those things. Obviously I haven't had the opportunity to play on party poker at all. I know what they're doing, but you can't really play it from the States and I haven't tried to play it. Um, yeah. But I think, yes, if, if all the different poker sites, follow that model i think we'd be better off than we are um yeah i mean like the bellagio you got seventh uh i saw one year you've you're the five diamond one of the most you know 10k multi-day it's an amazing tournament uh but like the re-entry stuff you see fox and you know there's a controversial he you rebought six times he wins the yeah. first place he's in for six bullets like he's one of the best players in the world if not the best regarding tournaments and he's you know imagine you're a wreck you, you knock out Fox and you're in for one bullet max. You want a satellite. And then he's, he's, he's over there check raising you in, in, in an hour at a new table. Like that's, you know, it's tough. And, and it's hard to say though. Cause like Foxen would say, and some of these guys though, they are punting Dylan Lind uh, who won the event as well. He was in for seven bullets or five bullets. Like, so it can, it's a give and take like some way, maybe they're not playing as well. And maybe they're adding money to the prize pool. It's not just clear cut, but where do you draw the line? Like in your mind for that? Yeah. I mean, obviously those guys, you don't take anything away from them. First of all, the rules are there and they're being followed. Like yeah, you're allowed to enter as many times as you want. And if those are the rules, then they're doing nothing wrong. And they're obviously incredible players. But yeah, I think that it would be, and I'm not even sure they would disagree that I think it would be better if it wasn't allowed to get out of hand quite to that extent, because like I've been in the position where like the first time I ever played that tournament, I was sat on day one next to next to Negranu actually, and he was just you know I, I think it was the year he was in for like seven bullets or something like that. He was in for a lot of bullets, and he was literally like you know 
10, 12xing pre-flop in the first level and just putting people all in for like 5x pot on the flop and stuff like that, like early on. And like, yeah, that's great if you pick up a hand and you hold. But for a lot of people, $10,000 is a lot of money or they satellite it into that tournament is a big thing. And like, yeah, it's poker. I get it. You know, this is the game. You're supposed to exploit other people's weaknesses. But I'm not so sure that the best thing is to make the exploitation of other people's weaknesses that prominent. And I think that's what happens in those spots. Like, obviously, if you have a huge bankroll and you can re-enter as many times as you want, you should take advantage of people who are, don't want to bust the 10K in level one. Like, yes, you should be doing that. Right, and it's going to backfire. That it also changes the gameplay. Right, well, in, in the Granu's case, who literally one of the few, you know, people who just doesn't care in terms of like, yeah, if he busts or has to re-enter, he's happy to do it. I mean, that's pretty crazy to make a 10K, a 70K. But imagine you're at his table and he's every hand you like, you normally want to open, but you know, you know, he's going to, he's going to seven X you and you open ace jack. And now you're just like every hand it's like, oh, do I, you know, you have to like adjust your, your, your strategy because he's doing this thing. So I, I, I'm with you. I think it's, it's tricky and it's uh, you know, the site, these guys want to do big guarantees. They're trying to find ways to make people happy. Someone that flies from, you know, uh, Arkansas to, to Vegas too. Maybe they want to rebuy once or twice. Like they don't want to bust and be out. It's a long way. So it, it's just hard. I think the one re-entry is like a pretty good uh, baseline. Like that seems yeah, like a pretty, I- One, even two, like, or even like I said, like some type of penalty, like for multiple bullets. But I think the most important thing that people need to realize is that, yes, when somebody puts in 70K into a 10K, that increases the prize pool. But how much does it really increase the prize pool? What is that really bringing to the table? Like, how much is that actually equating to what's going into like an amateur player's pocket? Like, if Negrano is in for, I, I hate using his name, but if anybody is in, for seven bullets as opposed to three bullets, and then some recreational player min cashes that tournament, how much money are they really seeing? Are they seeing enough money extra because of that that all the people who were in that who were in that one bullet situation who didn't get a good playing experience out of that tournament where where it evens out? I don't think so. Like I think if somebody wins the tournament yeah, I think the argument there is like, there's more people are going to min cash. There's more entries, so like there will be more min caches. But to your point, you know, are they going to do better or like have a chance at a big score? Like because then the better players, more chips are in play. Better players have more opportunity yeah. to gain stacks. Those players are going to be able to leverage that a lot better down the stretch. And and yeah, it's like money. winning is winning nine hundred thousand. Like if you told somebody that first place is going to be seven hundred fifty thousand as opposed to nine hundred fifty thousand, like I mean, it's still a lot of money. I'm, I'm sure whoever wins is still going to be pretty happy. I just think that they'd rather know, deal with Fox one time than four or five. Right. Yeah. That scenario. And again, like, I just think that there's, there's a middle ground. And like I said, like, I think it's the greed. It's, it's, it's 100% the reason why tournaments are run that way is greediness. Every time the tournaments don't care about who, how much money somebody wins. They care about the fact that, Oh, it, you know, somebody won 1.5 million and they could advertise that and it looks good for them, not for anyone else. They care about themselves. They care about the rate that they're generating. Uh, that's, that's all it is. And I think people need to understand that it's for the most part, they're just trying to squeeze every nickel out of every player that they possibly can. And it would be much, uh, people need to take a closer look at why things are happening and, 
whether or not they're really for the betterment of the overall good or just a few people. And I think that it's clear that in most things, you want to cater to the larger population than the smaller population. And that's how we should should assess it. Absolutely. Well, Jared, you've set again. It looks like you know the people, Twitter in particular. Uh, you've got a pretty big, big following. People like to know. We got a giveaway opportunity. People can ask their question. This is kind of our second podcast. It's like a one point three. We did one in uh, Choctaw, as a matter of fact. I believe we kind of did a little combo in there. I forget what that was exactly. Yeah, Helmuth. Helmuth was in there. Uh, we were in a random place and maybe the following year, I think either uh, Sexton was around the rest in peace, Mike Sexton, um, you know, obviously super sad. One of the legends of the game and, and world yeah. poker tour just can't talk about world poker tour without him is the cup is named the Sexton cup. Now it makes sense. Um, yeah, we were there in Chocta. yeah, it definitely should be. We're in, we're in, we were there in Choctaw. That's actually how you became, we, uh, this, this exchange of, uh, rents of a place and you, and you leasing out of all places. I've been there one time that you've been and whatever we were there and, and we started talking and it came up at a table, either me or you or Benny, someone was talking. And then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, I moved to the table at the end of the day. And I was saying how I wanted to move to Vegas in the next month or two. And you were telling me how you wanted to start renting out your place in the next month or two. And I only wanted to live at Panorama or the Martin. And you're like, well, my place is at the Panorama. And I was like, good, I'm moving in. And you're like, well, we need to discuss rent or whatever. I was like, it's not important. The apartment's mine. I'm moving in. Yeah. And it's been the best relationship you've ever had in your life. I, I understand. And uh, yeah. you can thank me for that. You do tell me it's uh, one of the highlights of your of your life and your existence is to be in there. So I don't want to remove you. We'll talk about that. After. I think I think. I think uh, the end of the year it's up, but we'll rediscuss um, t- terms moving forward and what's going on. So I, I'll, uh, yeah. It's up when I say it's up. I, you, you gotta, it's going to take a lot to get me out of here. You're going to have to wheel squatters me out. Rights. Squatters rights, right? Squatters yep. rights. You don't want to mess with squatters rights. It's, it's, a, it's a losing battle for you. Okay, well, we'll we'll cover that later. Let's uh let's go into the Twitter world because Twitter. I know you love Twitter. You're active. You're abrasive in a very good way. You're very, and abrasive is a strong word, but you're tough. You're in there. You tell people what they want to hear, uh, or what they. You just say what you want to say, not what they want to hear. I'll say that. So um, we're gonna go yeah. through and we're gonna we're gonna just kind of rattle off some stuff. Um, all right, this is the first one. I don't know what this guy is. I know that's an interesting way to uh, talk about the chicken or the egg. I, I've never really gotten deep into this. Do you have any chicken or egg? Uh, what came first? Have you ever thought of that? Do you ever? I don't even know. I thought about it the other day. I've never really yeah, actually. Given everybody, it. yeah, the egg came first. Everybody knows that. All right, there's that's cleared up. Um, that's clear. Uh, Question, uh, how do you think COVID-19 will affect live major tournaments, WPT, WSOP going forward this unprecedented year? Should they have uh, more or less online? So Craig Leonard, 80, basically asking you, give a prediction on what's happening. Once tournaments open back up, how do you think things are going to be affected? And then for you personally, how will you approach that? I mean, I think in general, we're starting to see tournaments slowly creep back. Um, I think that, I think it's obviously all going to kind of come down to, you know, a vaccine, I think that if a vaccine that seems like it actually works comes out, then I think that we'll be able to get back to playing pretty much, you know, soon after that happens. But if it doesn't happen for a while, I think that eventually in the next, I would say in the next, I would say around New Year's ish, I think a lot of tournaments are that, you know, that happen every year are going to start coming back. And I think that there'll, 
I think the field sizes will obviously not be nearly as big as they were, but I still think they're going to get enough people for it to be profitable for everyone to play them. And I, obviously there's going to be a lot of precautions that need to be taken. Like people are going to be wearing masks. There's going to be dividers. It's not going to be nearly the social game that we're used to. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, it's not going to be fun. It's, it's going to suck. Um, but this is the world that we're living in. I personally am in no rush to get back to the tables uh, while this is still going on. Obviously, the longer it goes, I may, you know, I may come to the point where I decide that, you know, I, the risks, uh, the risks are worth it or I might just have no choice. But, yeah, I mean, until until this thing gets under control and, you know, it's it's live poker. I mean, of all the things that you could do, really, there's not a whole lot worse in terms of uh riskiness during a pandemic than poker i mean you're sitting in a room with a bunch of other people pretty close to one another for 8 10 12 hours a day sharing cards sharing chips i mean it's not ideal a lot of people don't care and that's their preference and god bless them you know wish them the best of luck but of all the activities out there poker is definitely one of the worst for the situation that we're in and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with it you know and hopefully uh Hopefully sooner than later, we, we, you know, get to a point where we don't have to worry about this anymore. But in the meantime, it's, uh, it's not a great spot. It's definitely not a great spot for poker or poker players. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, I, I agree. I agree with you completely. Um, someone here is asking about best day in your life. You mentioned WPT for poker winning. That was just, you know, major and whatever. Well, give me, give me some, like, give me some other events. Uh, anything that like is super, super happy in your life. Um, I gotta be honest, the day I passed the bar, I was, was a pretty happy day. Uh, cause, um, even though I went to a lot of school and, and did, you know, well enough, I didn't really ever do a whole lot of studying or much work, but that was the one thing that I had no choice. If I wanted to do it, I had to really, so I like spent like a good three months pretty much studying every day, which is probably, I, I studied more in those three months than I did in my whole life combined for through college, through law school, through everything. And uh, I still definitely thought that I wasn't going to pass. And I did. And, you know, to me, that was a, a life accomplishment, even though I didn't do anything with it. It's just one of those things that like I proved to myself I was able to do it. And, you know, most things that you put a lot of work into, I'm sure you understand, like if uh, it feels real good when you find out that the hard work was worth it. So I was definitely up there. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and give me a, how much harder would you say you studied in one or the other, like to become a lawyer or with poker? Cause you, know, you poker, you seem like you've been, you said you're a field player, you know, like the, the uh, bring Kinney sort of style. Like there's a lot of work solvers, this and that. I mean, is it fair to say though, in terms of working on your game, you're, you, you, it's not, it's a, it's different because people do different things. You have, you have groups of friends, obviously you, you're around poker, you talk poker, you know, you, you, pick, you pick up bits and bobs, you watch some stuff on TV, you watch some, you know, videos maybe, or you see stuff stuff so you know there's a lot of different ways to study i'm not a solver world guy uh myself um you know I've, i know what it is i've looked at it i understand a bit but what is your like studying in poker how would you say you work on your game yeah i mean for me i'd say the overwhelming majority of the work that i've done in poker uh over the last 10 to 15 years has just been through playing which obviously i've i've put in a lot of hours both tournaments and and cash games just physically playing the game um 
over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, obviously, I talk a lot of poker. I mean, poker is a huge part of my life. Like a, a yeah. huge percentage of my friends are poker players. When I'm not actually playing, you know, there's always somebody who's got a hand to discuss whatever. I would say that I that my friends and I probably discuss hands less than a lot of other people do, but still more than a non-poker player could probably fathom. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I haven't really read many books. I haven't studied too many solvers. I know it's, you know, I've, I've looked at things I've, but the majority of my work has been done physically playing the game and, and talking to people and going over things with people who I think are better than me. And, while it's much different than sitting there and reading a you know a textbook and, and memorizing you know statutes and what and whatnot, um, they're both a lot of work. Obviously, to me at least, it's a lot more fun work you know gambling at a poker table and and talking about a hand with your friends than it is to you know read a textbook. Right. That's me personally, and I enjoy it, which is the reason why I'm still doing it. Um, if I didn't enjoy it, then I wouldn't be doing this at this point in my life. But, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's one of those things where I think some people really enjoy the work that they do and some people do it just because they have to have a job and make a living. And for me, I, I not always, there's times where I hate playing poker, you know, things are going bad. Not everybody has a good day every day, but for the most part, I really love playing. And uh, for me, it's, it's, it's more so not work, not tedious work, at least, than um than would that I feel like most people have to encounter in, in their normal everyday jobs. So I'm grateful. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's fun. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great game. What is, what's your favorite destination? You've gone to PCA a bunch Bahamas. You mentioned that was sort of like where at least a special one. Cause Amani at the time, things are all different. He doesn't get that score. What is a place yeah. though? Like you enjoy, you enjoy, I know you've been representing the hard rock at times uh, sponsored there. Like what, what are some of the stops you just like won't miss or you love? Um, yeah, I mean, back in the day, I used to love going to the PCA. Uh, the last few years of that, before they got rid of it, I it wasn't the same as it used to be. It wasn't nearly as fun. But back when I was first playing and traveling, that was the tournament that I most wanted to go to every year. Uh, usually, at least like the first few years that I was playing poker, I had to win a satellite online to get in, and I would literally – that's all I cared about for months was getting a satellite and winning that PCA package. Like I said – the last few years that I went there, the excitement wasn't quite the same as it used to be, but that used to be my number one. Uh, now I would say, you know, uh, the Borgata has a special place to me because that's kind of where like I grew up and started playing. Um, I try not to ever miss hard rock tournaments because, uh, you know, I really, I used to, I used to be an ambassador there and, uh, I really like the property. The tournaments are awesome. It's, it's a great location. So I try to go to those all the time and I would love to see Bay 101 shooting star come back. I mean, that was one of, that was probably the, the consensus, like everyone's favorite tournament of the year when they had like the, the shooting, the real shooting star, not what they've had the last couple of years over at Bay 101. That was like the fan favorite. That was the player's favorite. And it would be nice to get that one back. I actually only played that maybe like three or four times, but I, you know, I, I had no good results at that tournament and it was still one of my favorites to play and I look forward to it every year. So, um, yeah, I would say those are, those are my favorite destinations at this point. You know, I had a nice, I had a lot of fun going to Dublin and playing there. That was great. Um, but yeah. Um, have you, have you, uh, got to do any of the, have, you been, have you been to the new Bahamas, the Bahamar? Have you been to the uh, party? Party? Uh, I, I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there so, yet. 
It's a, it's, you know what it, I it's think really, you do is once everything gets straightened out, you speak to your bosses over a party poker and maybe hook me up with a package. You know, I think it's the right thing to do. Well, speak to Robin Robin there. There, you guys are always giving things away. Let's, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. Have me down there for my first time. You know, we could document the experience. Yeah, I mean, I anything's possible. This is yeah. A, get uh, on it. I think it's the right thing to do. You know, yeah, you're always giving sure. your fans things. You know. I love that. I would love to see a little more support for you on on my Twitch channel, and then I'll I'll, I'll dig deeper for that. But you've uh, you've been a good advocate. I, I love it. What's your favorite hand? Forget aces, kings. Give me like your what's your suited connector? What's your what's your hand? Special hand? You want to turn away something? Give me give me like your you see it and you're just like I'm playing this. Uh, I, I really like. Hand. I know. I like. Hand. I like ten eight suited. I don't know ten eight suited. I enjoy six eight suited. Those are probably two of my favorites. A little. With a little gap in between, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, those are fun, you know. All right. Fair I'll enough. take your hands off anybody. <laughs> what is your biggest live tourney cash? There's a question here. We've already kind of covered it. We've shown your hand and Bob impressive resume, but give me, do you know off the top of your head what your biggest score is? I think it was the bracelet for like 400 and change, I think. Yeah. Definitely the ROI because you had a couple 25Ks. You've been big, but yeah. the, the, the ROI, yeah. there's something nice about a low buy-in big score. There's something just super, super clean about that when it's uh, you just know you're doing well because you don't have to yeah. worry about how many buy-ins you've played. Um, uh, let's see. We got, man, a lot of questions that people want to hear from you. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're getting in here earlier um, than, than later. How long did it take to become a winning poker player? Were you winning from the gate or did you take you a bit to figure it out? I'm still trying to get there. I mean, it's been, uh, I'll let you know when I get there. Um, okay. we'll no, I mean, I would that. say that I would say that like, I, I was playing online for probably like three or four or five years. And I was probably like, probably close to break even, maybe winning a little bit, maybe losing a little bit. And then I was lucky enough that when I really started playing, well, I probably started playing live right around 2009, 2010. And I had a, and I had a huge year in 2010. So I, I, I was more fortunate than most that it didn't take me very long to um, to have some success playing live. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people who are way better players than me, and it takes them five, ten years to, to have the little run of success that I had pretty much right off the bat. So I was I was super fortunate with that. And, uh, yeah. What, what, what do you believe to be true about that? Because a variance is no question. I think it, it takes – you can wrap your head around it. You're a smart guy. You went to school. You understand variance. It's it's a little bit hard to 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 let people understand that. But you know, how do you sort of justify or explain that some guys that are, you know are so good? Like there's guys you know they're just great players and they really haven't had a, a break. And there's guys that maybe aren't so good and they've won a couple tournaments in a row. Um, you know, I, I, other than explaining variance, like is there anything that you think that is it confidence? Is it belief? Is it is it just luck at that point? Because it is kind of crazy when you can say and play a game like this and you show up and you might just you know, anyone could win, which is, which is nice because that's why the game exists, but it's also a bit funny to like realize you could go on a year run and be a great player and not win. So it's kind of a bit of a tricky thing. How do you sort of yeah. like balance that mentally? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like what makes it that, you know, makes it so hard to do it professionally, but makes it also makes it so that so many people who are professionals are willing to play to keep the game good for professionals because they, they know that they can win anytime. Um, I would say when it comes to actually winning tournaments, so many things have to go right, no matter how good you're playing 
to win. You know, you need to you need to not get unlucky. You need to get lucky. You need to win flips. When you have hands, somebody else has to have a hand and pay you off. There's so many things that need to happen and so few things that can happen to ruin your tournament. Um, so that's why I said it's so much more. You want to, in my opinion, you want to see who's really performing. You don't look at, you know, necessarily the final table or the final two or three players. Go, like, look at a bunch of tournaments over a year or two period and look at, like, Look at the top 30, top 40 in these big fields and find the people who are constantly in the mix. If you're if you're constantly in the final few tables of tournaments, then you're probably playing really well. Uh, once you get down to those final few tables, there's there's a very fine line on, you know, what you, what needs to happen to, you know, that's the difference between winning or coming in 12th place. You know what I mean? And a lot of it isn't even under your control. So right. it's more just people who are consistently giving themselves a chance to win as much as it is people who are actually getting the winning done that, uh, that shows you know, true success. I see a question here from Mary Great Bluff in, the, in uh, asking about, do you ever not like poker? If so, how do you push past? Like what happens when you're just sort of like over it, you're bubbling tournaments or you're not running well. It's just like, man, like things aren't going great. And what am I doing? Do you, do you have moments like that where you got to look around and say, question, what are you doing? Should you be playing poker? Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, when I say a lot, like, you know, I play a lot. So like, you know, since I've been playing in Vegas, for example, for the last like four years since I moved out here, like I play a lot of cash and I was playing cash a lot of times five days a week or whatever. And there's probably like at least one or two of those days where I'm sitting at the table. And I'm just like, I don't want to be here. Like this is miserable. Um, you know, poker is a really tough game, more so mentally than anything else, because especially if we're talking about tournaments, you're going to lose so much more frequently than you're going to win. And so obviously that's going to people, people don't want to lose. And so it's your last hand is almost always going to be a bad one. And for that reason, it takes a lot of, a lot out of you mentally. And I think the only thing that you can really do is you just need to remind yourself a, that, you know, (laughs) there's a lot worse things you could be doing in life than playing poker for a living. And B, this is just the, this is what the game is. If the, if you, if the same people won every time, there'd be no poker, there'd be nobody to play with them. And you just need to embrace it for what it is. And when you have a bad day, maybe just cut the day short and just be done with it and try to have a better mindset the next day, which isn't, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And I don't always do it, but I mean, if, if I could, if I could play perfectly from a mental standpoint, that's what I would do. I would only, I would try to only play when I was in the right, the right mindset mentally. And when I wasn't, I wouldn't. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that, is one of the tougher things to, to learn about yourself and, and learn how to do in order to put yourself in, in the best position to succeed. And, and give me a bit about your, your mindset. Do you, when you go and play, or do you like to be there on time? Do you do any type of meditation or ritual? Are you off your phone when you play? Does it just kind of depend or what's your sort of like uh, preparations look like for, let's just take the WSOP event during the summer. I rarely am there on time for a day one. Um, I don't like to use, I mean, there are plenty of times when I've like max rate late regged, not necessarily because I, you know, maybe there was a reason or I was in another tournament or whatever. I, I usually try to come in like, you know, within, you know, usually when the, when the annies start coming in or close to that, like I, I like to be able to, pl- I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not very nitty at the table. So I like to splash around and obviously it's easier to do that when you're deep. 
um, and people tend to give away more chips early on. Um, but also, like I was referencing before, I think it's all about a mindset. Like I'd rather go into a tournament, uh, you know, with four, like with 30 blinds and be like, you know, perfectly, perfectly uh, in the right, like right in the perfect mental uh, spot for me to be playing well, than to rush in there with a hundred blinds and be tired and not want to be there or whatever. So I think it, I think it's a type of thing where it, it varies from day to day, just depending on what I've got going on and what my mood's like, and you know if I'm feeling lethargic or not. I, I'm not a big meditator. I don't do that. So you know, I think I think for every person it's different. I, I my best advice would just be to to get in the tournament as early as you can, as it equates to like your best, you know, personal, uh, psychological state, you know, you know, you know, if, if, if getting an extra hour's worth of sleep, uh, will make you play better then get the extra hours worth of sleep. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if, if grabbing a quick bite and relaxing by the pool is going to help you play better then do that. And, and, you know, reg with a few less blinds. I think, I think in the long run, you'll be better off. I agree. Um, Give, give your best life advice, like uh, not even just just sort of like what have you what maybe you've learned from poker now in the last decade. What what have you sort of uh, if you were to give some people advice out there for what their profession, their hobby, their life, like time, other things. Like, do you have any kind of thing you've learned from poker that you would you would sort of say that that you could provide to uh, an outlook on overall life? I mean, it's a little bit of a profound question, but just sort of uh, what you, you some life advice you've got up to this point in your life that you've learned. I mean, I think, and I struggle with this probably as much as anybody, but I think you need to, when things are not going well, you need to realize that they're probably not as bad as you think they are at, at that exact moment when you're really struggling. And by the same token, when things are going really well, they're obviously not usually quite that good, which obviously is, is nothing new. People have talked about this before, but I think it's important to know that, you know, you really need to kind of find a middle ground I, I think uh you know you can't just live you, you can't just when things are going great you can't just assume they're going to stay that way and when things are going awful you can't just assume that they're not going to get any better you just kind of need to do the best you can at and and keeping as even keel as you possibly can and this this goes for poker or any aspect of life um and again i'm not great at this you know and i know that and if I could be better at anything, I think it would probably be that uh, not getting too down when things are bad and not getting too high when things are good, especially the down part. Cause you know, you know, we, a lot of people have talked about it recently, like mental health is a real thing. And um, you know, think about if most people think back to like some of the worst times that they've had and the, the biggest down stretches that they've had in their life, like, I'm sure that they, you know, after they've gotten through that, they, they realize that, you know, the way they thought then is not necessarily the way things really were. And you're not usually thinking your best when you're at the lows or the highs. And so you need to really be cognizant of where you're at mentally and, and try to rein it in and understand that things can get, things will get better and things probably will get worse and then they'll they'll even out somewhere in the middle and you just kind of got to roll with it the best you can yep i i couldn't agree more with that love that uh what would you say to someone starting poker best the same best poker advice for someone in 2021 now now it's different it's a completely different landscape than it was but what would you tell someone that wants to go and kick it around with the aria and play a one-two cash game or someone looking to play online what would be your advice to someone who's starting out in poker how to sort of um 
balance between learning, studying, playing? Like what type of uh, ratio or advice would you give? I mean, I know this isn't like the predatory answer that you should give, but I would tell them to be very careful. Uh, it, poker is a very hard game to just get started in right now. And if you really want to do it, I would say don't do it full time and, until you're at a point where you can financially afford to do so. And also, you know, you need to be prepared to lose a lot before you win. And if you can't do that, then you probably shouldn't be doing this. Very few people are going to get into poker right now at the level the game is being played and be successful right off the bat. It's right. just, it's almost impossible. And you need to be prepared for that and understand that it really is a lot of work. Even if you don't necessarily want to sit there and, and read and study, it, then you need to be at the poker table playing a game that maybe not too exciting because there's not a ton of money on the table, but that you're just sitting there and, 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 and learning and, and picking up things and noticing things about others and yourself and just seeing as many hands as possible. And you need to, it's like anything, like anything that you want to be really good at and make your career, make your life, you need to work at, you know what I mean? It's, it's not just going to happen because you think that, you know, you're really good at bluffing somebody. You're really good at making reads. It doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? The best baseball players, the best actors, the best basketball players, every one of them, no matter how good they are, they work their asses off. Like the LeBron James practices nonstop. He practiced his whole life to get to where he is. And he's one of the greatest athletes ever. And if you want to be, if you want to be a really good at poker or anything else that you do, you're going to have to do a lot of work, you know, otherwise it's probably not going to end well for you. You know, for sure. Unless you're as lucky as Jim. Uh, and, and what, what's, what do you say? What's my lucky tip? No, I said, unless you're as lucky as you, you can do whatever you want. and Anything you touch turns to gold, but not everybody's like that. Not everybody's like that, Jeff. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I will say I do. I put a lot of effort and time into things. I, I was poker aside, whatever, but I hear Jared, I'll take, I'll take whatever comment I can get. Uh, it's, it's tough out there. Um, <laughs> Uh, would you recommend a coaching for a mid-stakes MTT player? Do you believe like coaching is, is valuable, like having an actual coach for poker, or do you think it's better to just do it yourself? I think it depends on the player and it depends on the coach. Uh, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that I see them charging people for, for poker coaching. And I think to myself, there may not be a bigger scam running right now because they should be paying double to somebody else to teach them what they're charging to teach other people. Um, and then there's some people out there that are incredible poker players and they're incredible teachers and people can benefit a lot from them. And it also depends on the type of player you're talking about. Like what, what, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, you know, play poker once a month and, and just, uh, you know, enjoy yourself, then I don't really think that you need to spend, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars on coaching to do that. If you're like somebody who's taking this seriously and playing for a living and you want to take that jump in your game and you're not seeing that you're able to do it on your own, if you could find a coach who's who's good at what they do and who really understands the intricacies of the game, then it's probably going to be worth your time and your money. Um, but like I said, a lot of people out there think that they uh, are a lot better than they are. And think that they can teach a lot of people, but in reality, they're just trying to make a buck for themselves. So you need to be careful about who you're paying. And also just because somebody's good at something doesn't make them a good teacher or a good coach. And 
you know, it's just like, again, I'll use the sports analogy. Like a lot of the best managers and coaches weren't the best players. And a lot of the best players wouldn't make great coaches or managers. So, you know, just because somebody's really good or doesn't mean that they're going to be able to help you. And, you know, just because somebody may not have the greatest results doesn't mean that they can't teach you something. So I just think you need to, you need to speak to people. You need to, you need to figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish. And I think after you try to figure that out, and if you decide that you need some coaching to do that, you need to ask around and you need to find out who the people are who are going to be best suited to, to take you to where you want to go. For sure. Uh, WSOP or WPT? Just a quick answer. WPT. Um, favorite sport to watch? College basketball. Yeah, it was tough this year. That was tough for you, too. That's not easy to overcome. That was like, yeah, that was brutal. Things can, be, things can be bad, but you're not expecting uh, no March Madness. That's just. I tell you, my two best friends from back home, my friends come out here every year for the, the conference tournaments to come visit me. And they showed up literally the day the world basically ended. They flew out here. Uh, they, they, their wives let them come out here for a trip. They let them come out once a year. They literally get on the plane, they land, and that was the day Rudy Gobert got corona. And the NCAA tournament, all the games got canceled the next day, and they went home the day after they got here. So it was uh, – it was a it was a rough it was a rough uh, rough timing for college sports fans and, and for me and my friends this year for sure. Um, yeah, that's that is tough. And I know you love sports a lot. You love do you, is NBA. Is that favorite basketball in general? Is that your next favorite sport or or? Uh, I don't. I watch the NBA, but that probably be towards the bottom of the list. I, I, college basketball, baseball, then the NFL. Uh, I still watch pretty much all the NBA and, and college football, but those are probably a little lower on my scale. Hockey, I, I watch, you know, I like the Knights. I root for the Knights, but I, I'm not a diehard hockey fan. Um, How is the vibe for the Raiders out there, the Las Vegas Raiders? Kind of bizarre, the new stadium. It's exciting, and then it's like no one can go in there. They start out 2-0. They lose a couple games. Like, where where do they – what's going on with them? Are you behind yeah, them? I mean, it's hard It's hard because, you know – I mean, there couldn't really be a worse time to start a franchise in Vegas when you can't even have any fans come to the game. I think yeah. that I think that the stadium looks amazing, even though somehow they found the shittiest airline in the world to put their name on it. That that's it? kind of crazy. Allegiant. Who? Allegiant. Allegiant Airlines. Yeah, that's 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 the that's who sponsors the, the stadium big allegiance sign right on the front the stadium is great it looks great um we could see it from the balcony from from our apartment um i think that the city would probably be fairly excited about it it won't be like the knights were because it's different when you start a team here as opposed to bring a team here from a different city um you know a lot of people who live in vegas i'm sure already root for a different team uh, so it's, it's a little different, but I think the city will get behind it. I think it'll be fun. I think I would have definitely been at the first game had, had, you know, there been no Corona, it would have been a cool event to go to. I look forward to going to games once, once you can, once this isn't a Corona isn't a thing. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you know, I think soon enough we'll have an NBA team and maybe an MLB team here and, you know, Vegas is going to, Vegas is going to keep building on, on its sports empire. I think, I think they've proven that they could do a good job of that here. Holy shit, dude. This is a crazy bug behind me. There's, I don't know if you can see it. This is like a Pence moment. Can you see this thing or no? Hold on. I, no. Where is it? It's like right here. Oh, you can't see my. Why don't you kill it? 
I, I mean, it's, I, it's a dude, it's like a tarantula or something. Look Take your shoe thing. off and smash it. Can you see it? Yeah, I see something. Take off your shoe and hit it. I'm not. Be a man. It's honestly, it's like, it's not even a fly. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it thing's an animal almost. Come on, man. It's okay. Dude, Kill you see it. it or not? I think it's I see it. Is it right there? It's right there. Right? Yeah, I see it. Just take off your shoe and smash it, and, and we move on. I'm not gonna kill it. I'm just gonna move it. What? I honestly don't know what it is. Holy shit, dude! It's it's got. I mean, it, you. I hold on. I'm gonna. I don't want to kill it, but I want to hit it, and then it's gonna come after me, man. I really don't like. You see it or not, Jared? Yeah, I see it. And I think you should kill it. I I'm not. I'm just gonna give it a love tap, but I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's gonna sting me or something. All right, hold on. Let me get a. It might be a murder hornet. Whoa! Whoa! You see it flying around there? No, it's now even more in the center, bro. Can you see it or not? I can't see it on the thing. Oh yeah, you can see it, can't you? I see. So I saw something. I don't see it anymore. It's like right there. Oh see yeah, it? I see it. You see I see it. Right yeah, I see it right above your, uh, right next to your microphone. I can't. I hit my mic. I hope, that, bro. I don't, hold on. Let me see here. Time out. Um, I'm not really sure what to do here. I gave it a good nudge, man. I mean, I gave it a good tap here. Jared, what would you do? You would just smoke it? You would just end it? I, I would 100% kill it. I can't really see it on the thing. Hold on. Stop, stop being such a liberal. Oops, totally missed Yeah, that's it. not what I would do. All right, I just launched it. It's alive. Just absolutely launched it. Um, all right, that was... Dude, I don't. You don't know the size of that thing. I'm telling you, that was. That wasn't uh, your finest. Moment. I'm not gonna lie. No, that wasn't your finest. But I, at least it didn't. I. I mean, I think I might have lost the mic. Whoo. Okay. It's a way. It's a way. I, I just don't like bugs. I don't like bees. Kind of looks like a bee and a fly combo there. Um, got the blood flowing. Had a little too much coffee. That was Jared. That was exciting. It wasn't a Pence thing. At least it, I was just waiting for it to land on the head. That was what I didn't want to have happen. Um. All right, poker influences. Who are your poker influences? I know you hang out with Massey, Benny, the boys, but like, give me some. Did, growing up, were there any like poker heroes? Did you see someone on TV like, oh, that dude's crazy, or I love how he plays? Like, who was your when you were watching TV growing up with poker? Who did you like? I mean, I would say like when I was before I was really playing and I was just watching, like Ivy and McGrath were probably my favorite, you know, poker players. Like when I first got to play with them, that was like a, an exciting point for me. Um, you know, I mean, that's pretty standard. Like they were the, they were the, the pinnacles of the game back when I was first starting to play and, you know, uh, yeah. So those were probably the people who I, who I looked up to, I guess, uh, before I started playing for real on my own. Um, okay. Fair enough. Those, uh, those are household names. Uh, what about sports cards? I saw something here. I'm like obsessed with. Sports cards now. I saw you put something, Ronnie Barda. Uh, put something. Do you, do you have any uh, basketball card collection stuff? That actually was my card that he put up. So uh, so Ronnie's really big. Ronnie's a good friend of mine. He's super big into into sports card collecting. And uh, he, you know, he's got a lot of valuable stuff. And he's been, you know, buying and selling. And he, he uh, you know, he's talking to me about it. And I realized that I had all this stuff back in my house and with my parents. And, and so I, I got my mom to buy up all my stuff and send it out here it was like 100 pounds of cards so i don't know anything about it i i was literally collecting this maybe 25 years ago or whatever maybe more and so ronnie was nice enough to come over and uh 
and go through all my boxes of cards and try to weed out what had some value and whatever. And, you know, we went to Tom Marchese's store uh, the other day. And yeah, I was and just going to say that. I, 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 how nice is the store? Cause I went to his house and I grabbed stuff from him in December and the, the, the sports card industry is absolutely on fire yeah, right, now. I mean, the roof right now. 10, 20, 30 X, 40 X on the stuff in the last two, three years. Um, it really is wild. What, uh, what, how, how, what kind of stuff did you have? Do you have a, you have a, you have actually like old school stuff or. I mean, most of the stuff I had was like from a couple year period in the early nineties when I, I there was like a, a three, four year period where my, my dad and I were like collecting and like going to shows and stuff like that. But then I kind of got over it. So everything I have was mostly from like early nineties. I, you know, I had like the, the good stuff that I had was like, I had like rookies, like the, I was collecting during the rookie years of like Griffey and Jeter and, you know, I had some like Shaq and Kobe stuff, like stuff like that. You know, those guys were rookies when I was collecting. So I had some stuff for those type of players, but nothing, nothing great. And the problem was obviously I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was a kid when I was doing it. So if they're not in perfect, perfect condition, the value of them just is like one tenth of what they would be if they were. So most of my stuff wasn't, you know, completely perfect. So, but yeah, I went to, uh, me and, me and Ronnie went to Tom's store the other day, had some of my stuff looked at, sold a few things, going to hold on to some stuff. And, yeah. you, know, it was, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. So it was just, it was a couple day project. And, uh, and, but Ronnie, Ronnie's super into it. He's showing me cards that he's got, you know, worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. He's, he's really into it and he knows his stuff. So, uh, we had a nice time. I've gotten pretty obsessed with it. I think um, I think it's actually just the infancy in the in the the thing because it was like a 10, 20 year kind of lull, sort of like just nothing happening. Now it's sort of um, I think it's just getting kicked up. But anyway, so I would hold on. I would hold some of that stuff and and maybe get it graded. Uh, I think you're in you're in a good spot, Jeffy. Just when you think things aren't going your way, you just you find a pile of uh, cards and and things turn around. You know, it's not it's nothing. Yeah, like I know. I, yeah. I might be able to pay the cable bill this month. I, I, we could talk, we could talk cards for rent. I mean, we could, we could think of, look at, look at that. Let me see what you got. Send me over your best stuff and, uh, and, a pick and we'll, we'll, we'll go for there. Um, what's your biggest non-poker achievement? Was it the passing the bar you, you, you mentioned? Yeah, probably. Nice. Um, how, how do you deal with bubbling a poker tournament? Let's take a big one. 10 K 25 K you stone bubble one, two, three off the money, you play for a day or two and a half and you just don't cash and you just can't breathe. What do you do? Take his annex. <laughs> um yeah i don't know i mean it probably depends you know like it's weird just like sometimes even even it's not even always about the exact amount of money that you're playing for like sometimes you just the way it happens is just far more you know devastating than others like sometimes you're in a tournament like you're short the whole time and you just kind of have it in your head that it's you know nothing good's gonna happen and and, you know, you, you bubble a tournament when you had like five lines and like it might have been for a lot of money, but like you kind of like felt it coming. And then there's another one where maybe it's for like, you know, 10 percent of the money up top or whatever. But like you had the chip lead 20 minutes before and now all of a sudden you're bubbling the tournament and you just feel like you don't even know what just happened. And like all of a sudden you're sweating and you don't know what's going on and you're just like, what what just happened? So it really depends. I, I mean, I would say. The best thing to do, if you can, is to just try to, you know, go get a nice meal and hang out with your friends and try to get your mind off of the money that you just incinerated. But sometimes the best thing, at least for me, is literally just to go home, close the door, get in bed, watch some TV and just, you know, let it 
let it just evaporate you know, around you. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just need to wallow in your misery for a little bit. And sometimes yeah. you need to try to counteract it. It just kind of depends on, on your state of mind. For sure. Um, uh, and would you say, uh, so let me just see, we've got a bunch of questions. We've actually answered a lot of these, but a lot of, I mean, look at the people they want to look at these questions, Jerry. This is not, this is not nothing. This is like, people really want to know what's going on. Um, <laughs> Let, let's uh let's see uh but all right let's i don't like leaving on, on a bad note but difficult hand was there ever like a hand the main event uh or a bad beat or some kind of crate like you know six spot or what that you remember that was like just pivotal maybe you would have won a tournament or it was just such a big pot or situation that stands out for you good let's do a good yeah, and bad i mean there, <laughs> i've got a few i would say the one that the one the the worst one that sticks out for me that I just I still think about to this day was when I got seventh that year at five diamond when it was like two million for first and uh, I had just I had gone I was like chip leader and then with seven people left I lost two flips and I was like middle of the pack and I I got it in on a on a seven eight nine rainbow flop with Jack Ten against uh, Tobias Rankinmeyer and he had queens and it came seven seven. And yeah, that, that, that one still stings, you know, final table bubble of the, you know, the TV bubble of five diamond. I think it was the biggest one they ever had for like 2 million and to get it in that good and have that run out uh, after being chip leader when the final table started, I think. Uh, yeah. That, that was a lot of EV that got uh, a lot, a lot of it got shredded on that hand. And uh, you know, I still think back what might, what might've happened if I had won, you know, you know, a million or two million instead of, you know, 150,000 or whatever it was. It, what, what, pretty what, do you about, what do you think about that whole, like kind of everything happens for a reason, you know, we're in the matrix or whatever. Like, do you believe, you know, cause like your point, and I think about this sometimes too, like I've got some pretty brutal seconds, thirds uh, in poker per se. Cause like, let's say you win a million, your first, like Zamani, you hit a million dollar score that first you know week you go to blocks, you win, whatever. Like, you, you know, is there certain, certain parts of me, uh, believes in like the journey or the path or how things kind of happen. Cause like, it's kind of weird in tournaments, especially like you get in this spot, as you said, you got to put yourself in good positions, but when you get to a final table, guys have between 10 and 45 blinds, like, it, you know, we're talking about some all in some coolers and like what, you know, well, really, what are we talking about in some spots? Like, do you believe that maybe the things are sort of like, it's better that it happened in a way or, you just always want to win, right? I mean, of course, you want the money. No, I, I don't believe. I, I got to be honest. I'm not much of a big "everything happens for a reason" person. Like, obviously, it may turn out that way. Like, it's possible that something bad happened can translate into something good later on, or something good happening could translate into something bad later on. But I don't think that it's necessarily just because you know things happen for a reason. Like, I think you know life is unpredictable and. You know, bad things happen and good things happen. And I don't think there's necessarily a reason for most of them. I think, you know, just sometimes it's the luck of the draw. And, you know, you got to hope that, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, more good things happen than bad things. And that's not just in poker. That's in everything. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't think that I, I don't think that just because one thing happens one way that you can anticipate that another thing will happen. I, I think most events are are independent of one another for the most part, unless, you know, obviously certain situations are not, but in general, I think, you know, things happen because they happen, not, not because they were destined to happen. 
Right. And I yeah. see people – do anyone call you JJ? Is that kind of like do – you, do you rep Jax harder than most? Like Jax is a difficult hand. I'd say Ace, Queen, and Jax are like the hardest hands to play in poker because uh, you get them a lot and they're kind of tricky spots a lot. Uh, what's your Jax relationship? I mean, honestly, uh, some people have called me JJ. I've definitely been called JJ, but not that often. Um, and in terms of uh, JJ and Jack Jack, I honestly have never even thought about it until you just brought it up. It's never entered my mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, play a harder. maybe I just wonder if you had a JJ tattoo, you know, like some sort of uh, no. significance with it. You wrap I'll it tell you what, If you get, if you make me, you know, an offer, I heard one, I heard there was a time where somebody got an offer for a tattoo. They got a few bucks for it. If you want to make an offer like that or put something like that together, I could be, I could be convinced to do so. I have no tattoos. So, you know, if you want to put something together, Talk, talk it, to it, people. It I, I'd pay what? for it. How about that? I'll pay for your tattoo for JJ. No, for no, no, no. I need to be I compensated. I need to be compensated for 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 scarring this perfect body. You know what I mean? Like when you have a, a work of art like this, it, you don't want to you don't want to draw on it. It's a canvas. Um, it's a, it's a yeah, it's, it's a big canvas. Um. Uh, I think we've covered a ton of, we've covered a lot here. Is there anything you want to mention? I mean, we've, this has been a treat. It's been a long time coming. We sort of got to showcase your career, some major scores, some triumphs, some hardships, some ups and downs, and, and just overall, you know, COVID that you've been, you've been kind of pinned in the, to a beautiful place for, for a while, but it's, it's tough in there. Anything else you want to, you want to let everyone know, like what you feel, um, election stuff coming up. What's your prediction? Are you betting on the election? Do you think – is it a shoe-in? What's your, what's your take? I'm, I'm not betting on this election. I bet on the last one. I'm not betting on this one. Um, I think my, – my mind has changed a bunch on this. And I, I thought, you know, before, before COVID, I didn't think there was a chance Trump could lose. Uh, and I think right now I would be very shocked if he won. I don't think he's going to win. Um, I don't really personally like – either of our options. Um, like most people, I don't think, I think that's, I think the best way to judge society right now is if anybody really loves either of the options, I, I'm, I, they're probably something wrong with them. I think, I, I think, I think if you have a level head, you can't be thrilled about either. If you're super gung ho about one side or the other, I'm a little worried for you. Um, but you know, things aren't great in this country right now. And I hope they get better, not just with Corona, but with everything. Um, and I also think that, and I'm not even going to say where I stand in this, but I just think that depending on your certain specific situation, I think a lot of people would be better off with one person winning and a lot of people would be better off with the other person winning. And, uh, you know, just depending on the what's important to you and, you know, where you are in life and, you know, what the most important issues are for you. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't necessarily think that makes anybody good or bad. I think that, you know most people vote for what they think is going to be best for them. And I think that you can make an argument for, you know, depending on what the issue that's most important to you is, you can make an argument for, you know, for both people, you know, but, you know, things definitely aren't good now. And in my, in, in, in my estimation, if things aren't good, then, then we probably need some sort of change. Uh, but you're not, you're but, not moving out of the country one way or the other. If, if someone wins or loses, you're not, you're not like, you no. off the no, okay. no. I, I, I still think we're better off here than most places, and I'm not in any hurry to leave. 
I love it. Well, I see Amelia's. And I do want to say one thing. There is, there's going to be a little competition for you because before, before long, we've been working on this. Myself and Ralph Massey are going to have our own show that we're putting together. It's going to be, you know, similar to this, some type of podcast. Uh, we're ironing out the last of the details, and that is going to be coming soon. Uh, we're we're going to film our first episode hopefully in the next you know few weeks or so, and that'll be we'll put that on Twitter, and you know there'll be a link for that where everybody can watch, and it will be not suitable for work type viewing. Uh, the topics will not probably be very much poker related. It'll be a lot of inappropriate stuff. If you know me or Ralph, you'll understand uh, the type of things we'll be talking about. And, you know, if you've got young children, I would not have them around when listening. Um, but, yeah, so we are going to, for everybody out there, you know, keep your, keep your eyes and ears open because there's going to be some interesting content coming out soon for us. I love it. Well, you took the, took my last question out of my mouth for the thing about what are you up to and, uh, and, and what is, what's going on. So it looks like that's, that's awesome. I love a good competition and I don't even view it like that. I think the more the merrier podcast, uh, YouTube, bring it in. I would love to promote. Let me know what it is. I'd love to. Yeah, we certainly want to have you on as a guest, a pillar of, of the community like you. We want you on as a guest. It sounds controversial. I don't know if I'm even going to be able to, to get in there. It sounds like it's kind of like a wild. Uh, I, mean, twist, but. I gotta be honest, man. You know, sometimes you gotta be a little controversial in life. You know, you can't always play both sides of the fence. Sometimes you gotta get in there and, and just, you know, throw Maybe caution to the one. Be the one that'll I'll mix it up and then really get after it. And in, in, uh, in that, that seems like a good atmosphere that you could bring the bet. You could bring the, I don't want to say the word you could bring, you could bring it out of anyone with that kind of sandwich between you two and just going, going at it. There could be some crazy stuff happening. So yeah, I, uh, I, would, I feel like, I feel like it'll be interesting stuff and I think people will enjoy it. And I think that, uh, I think in the, in the climate that we've got going on right now, they're, uh, people could use some laughs, you know what I mean? Not taking everything so seriously. And I, I think that's what we're, we're, we're going to bring to the table. I love it. Well, on speaking of bringing something to the table, let's took, put a $55 ticket in the air. It's not too late. We got some live viewers. This will be up on the, all the outlets of podcasts. This is a, a live delight. Thank you, Jared, for giving us that live, beautiful, uh, picture video quality live you know some people like to record do it off whatever this is like in the moment we're we're just letting whatever goes it's a little bit of a risk for everyone to be live um but you've you've controlled yourself well and other than some some uh some some f-bombs i think we've had a pretty clean clean podcast so that will be out everywhere and jared we got a 55 dollars ticket courtesy of party poker which i believe is your favorite site i don't know that's for sure but i'm guessing um as i've never gotten bad beat on that site that i can remember Oh, there you go. So let's go ahead and we're going to, we're going to, uh, with all, look at 141, um, people that, in, that did love this beautiful, uh, thing we have for a banner, look at a banner holding up Kings winning trophies. That's not bad. That's not a bad deal. Uh, what tournament was that right there? We got this, this photo from, that was, uh, I think that was the circuit at the bike, the main event at the bike, the W, uh, WSOP circuit. Just winning titles left and right. Hard to keep track, but there's another. And we're going to go ahead and do the uh, $55 ticket on your command. You tell me when we're going to end this bad boy uh, at right. this, uh, this giveaway. You tell me when. When? When has been called. Let's let's roll it. We got a 55 ticket. You never know. 55. We saw someone take $100 to 600 k uh, on party. You never know what they might just do. It happens. The dream is alive. Oh, is alive. You, you want, that is a first where we have a, a female Who's winner. This? So this could Who be, is this? It could be your future someone. It could be uh, at the 55 ticket you are involved. Um, and I don't Tell know. If you, 
You want, <laughs> you want me to put that in the message? I'm going to yeah, tell, right now. Tell her I'd like to. I'd like to discuss this with her. Um, 55 ticket. Congrats. What is your party poker username? Also, Jared Jaffe um, would like you to DM him. Is yeah, right? please slide in my DMs, please. All right, I wrote it. I don't know if that's allowed or not, but we'll uh, we'll just push it out there and let you take it from there. I have no responsibility on what transpires in your conversation. Um, yeah. Either it is party sure. poker for that matter. For that matter, I want to clarify that. And uh, Mr. Jaffe, any closing words for everyone out there? It's a crazy year. I think you crushed it on the podcast. I always wish the best for you and the apartment that you're in. Um, those are two things I wish for often and frequently. Think about, but the apartment, um, the apartment is in great condition. It's, just, it's better than you left it. Thanks for having me on. I had a good time. It was nice to be able to do something uh, other than just lay in bed and watch Law & Order reruns uh, this afternoon. So thanks for that. And uh, I had a good time. Appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I didn't embarrass you. No, I think it was. I think it actually went better than expected, um, which is I, I had high expectations. So that's a that's a big comment. This was good. We had a nice podcast. We did it all. And uh, give them a follow. Jared Jaffe is that their most active social? What's your What's your socials? Uh, Instagram. Um, I'm no, sorry, I Twitter. Don't know. It's Twitter, basically. Yeah, Jared Jaffe twenty one. I'm not even sure. Yeah, that's it. There it is. You know it. Don't 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 tell me you don't know. Look at that. I'm, uh, this is what's going on. He dropped bomb. He drops bombs and he's in the mix and, and he's uh, he's doing it all. Look at that, man. R.I.P. Mike Sexton, the legend, man. One of the best for sure. All right, Mr. Jaffe, I appreciate you. Thank you. And I'll see you, I hope, soon in Vegas or otherwise. Yeah, let's, let's talk, buddy. I appreciate you having me. Yes. Cheers, guys. That's Jerry Jaffe. Number What's that? Fantastic job as always, man. One of the best in the business. Jeff Gross. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Number 94 in the books. We got three podcasts scheduled next week. We'll get that schedule out. Jaffe 94. Good year, good number, good man. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.